91.3 KBCS, Music and Ideas, listener-supported radio from Bellevue College. Washington State was one of the first three states in the nation after New York and Hawaii to legalize abortion in 1970, three years before Roe v. Wade. Marcy Bloom is the former director of the now-closed Aradia Women's Health Center in Seattle. The clinic offered health services for women, including abortions. Bloom shares a little history about abortions to start. The history of abortion rights in the U.S. is very interesting. It used to be legal or not regulated by the law, and then there became a conflict in the 1800s between midwives, women, including herbalists and those who used more natural methods to help women both give birth and have abortions. And then the newly emerging male-dominated medical establishment. And because of some of that history, gradually abortion started becoming regulated and then it became illegal in the United States in the mid to late 1800s. But for a long time, there weren't any um, religious barriers or legal barriers. Women could find providers. Not all of them were safe, but women could help each other to regulate their pregnancies and regulate fertility. So, so much of this battle is really a battle as we see how the role of women has been dominated and co-opted and changed because so much of what women's lives were all about is whether to have a child or children or not, because it affects every aspect of a woman's life. Marcy Bloom was an abortion counselor in the early 1970s in New York City. Women from across the country traveled to states where abortion was legal to access the services. Bloom picked some of these women up at the airport and bus terminal in New York to escort them to the clinic safely. She recounts what her work was like. One of my jobs was to go to the airport or the Port Authority and find women flying or busing in and then bring them back to the clinic. They were told to look for me. Yeah, I was the one with the brown curly hair and I had on a red smock because you can see red from far away. I had a list so I knew exactly who I was looking for when the plane or the bus was supposed to come in. I would gather my group and it usually was a group. And then as we were going through the streets of Queens, that's where the airport is, Port Authority is in Manhattan. So in Manhattan, we all talked in the car, sometimes we were on the subway together. And it was um, a truly amazing, open and honest, like consciousness raising session informally. You know, everybody wanted to know everybody's story because the women felt so isolated and suddenly I'm there bringing this group together and everybody's talking like they're old friends because everybody wanted to share their reality because many times they couldn't tell their families exactly what was going on. Not always, but sometimes, because the stigma still was so severe. I mean, that's still true today in many ways, even if abortion was finally legal in the US. So it was all kinds of amazing stories. Why are you here? Where are you from? 
Do you already have kids? Do you think you'll have kids one day? Who knows you're here? What did you tell your mom, dad, or partner, or grandmother? How did it happen? Did you like sex? Was it consensual? Were you forced into it? Did the guy leave you? Are you really, really scared? What are your dreams for the future? Why did you make this choice? And then, you know, through the years, you, you hear variations of all of these incredible stories. So I saw firsthand the tremendous and empowering good of safe, legal, compassionate abortion. And I felt honored that, you know, I was simply bringing them into the clinic, that these women trusted me and allowed me on the subway or in the car together, you know, a glimpse into their lives. Marcy Bloom describes the work of the abortion counselor, now referred to as an abortion doula. An abortion counselor is an incredible job. Basically, what we did is meet women, find out what their lives were like, as much or as little as the woman wanted to share, make sure that the woman was not being coerced or pressured into the abortion and that it was her own free will. Of course, ask her about her emotional state, her medical issues, which were also reviewed by the doctors and nurses, of course, because we worked as a team. Just understand if she had conflicts. Women know what they want to do when they make the decision to have an abortion. And sometimes it's very easy, straightforward and immediate. And sometimes it has conflicts and stigma. So just we wanted the women to know that it was a safe place medically. It was a safe place emotionally and psychologically. We were simply there to hear whatever story they wanted to share, ask for informed consent, because that's a critical part of women understanding the rare, very rare, but still possible complications. No, they could call us 24-7 on a hotline if they had emotional questions or fears or had excessive bleeding and how to approach that. So we were there to share information and to give kindness, support, and compassion because there was still so much stigma around abortion care and abortion as a choice. It had suddenly become legal, but that doesn't mean all of the religious and other fears around it or the propaganda, now we call it disinformation, misinformation, that doesn't mean that women didn't come with their worries and fears. And, you know, women would sometimes ask us, am I going to die? Um, because there was just so much around the back alley abortions, the self-induced lie douche abortions, the uh, hanger abortions. And we just reassured them this is a medically safe procedure with trained doctors, nurses and counselors, and we're here for you. So that's what an abortion counselor now called an abortion doula does. Bloom moved to Seattle to work with a Radio Women's Health Center. She describes the mission of the clinic and the work they did, including the threats that came along with offering abortion services. Finding a Radio Women's Health Center, uh, which was a, a nonprofit clinic, first in the U District and then on Capitol Hill, 
um, really, really focusing on women and how women felt, not only the care. The care is absolutely critical, and the care is what women are coming in for, women and other individuals who come to a women's health center. But it's also asking them their feelings, their thoughts, their worries, their fears, and their questions. We have to remember that so much of women's health care for so long was very patriarchal. And trust me, you don't have to ask questions. You don't have to worry. We know that that is often, not exclusively every single doctor, but that was often the theme of the medical profession. That has changed tremendously. And a lot of that was the feminist health movement who knew that safe medical care, but also a safe place to get your questions, fears, and emotions addressed. Healthcare can be scary. You want to know what's going on. You want to know when someone is going to touch you, especially in certain parts of your body that feel so much more private than others. And you want to make sure that you know what's going on and why the provider is doing what he, she, or they are doing. Feminist clinics. There were many around the country during the 70s and 80s. Um, they, they tended to be small. They tended to be intimate settings. They weren't, you know, big operations. And that was part of their uniqueness. We were also at a Radio Women's Health Center. Political advocates, we were very engaged in the 1991 Reproductive Privacy Act, which codified Roe versus Wade in our state. This is why we, we are and will be a safe haven for abortion care when Roe falls. We were very involved with other political actions. I often went to Olympia to testify for or against bills. It was usually against an anti-choice bill, but it was occasionally for a pro-choice bill that would actually advance issues. We also dealt with um, the nationwide bomb threats and harass harassment and death threats. Um, and we know that in other parts of the country, doctors were killed by anti-choice people who brought their ideologies to incredibly violent action. Um, it, it, it was a very unique place with a very different attitude of training doctors and other professionals to do abortions and to make sure that the needs, the emotional needs of the pregnant individuals were heard and that the women and the other pregnant people were spoken to with care and compassion and kindness. And that's, it sounds perhaps more typical today. And some young people who are hearing this might say, but that's how my doctor always treats me. Well, that's phenomenal. That's because of the feminist health movement and women focused, LGBTQ plus focused feminist health clinics that saw beyond women's bodies and knew that a complete person has thoughts, feelings, and questions about their health care. It, it was always such an incredibly unique place. It's treating women with respect and knowing that everyone who comes through the door is a unique individual and is not 
part of, you know, an assembly line. Because so many places now, you know, the high volume aspect of healthcare is what drives the uh, capitalist incentive in healthcare. We don't have universal health care. We don't have funded abortion care, um, except in certain states like our own. So that's that's part of what made Radio Women Southlanders so unique. It was a team effort to give those who came through our doors the best care possible. And to be really good listeners, I think that's such a key part. 1979, after 1973, although Washington State, as you said, was um, uh, one of the three states uh, that, that legalized abortion in 1970, as I understand, there were bombings of clinics and there was uh, frequent harassment of people who are entering clinics. Was that happening at Aradia um, yeah. before or when you were there? We got clinic blockades, we got threatening letters, we got death threats, and yeah, there was a bombing at a clinic in Everett. At one point, the anti-choice movement, when they weren't that successful legally, said, we can go after the clinics, we can go after the providers, because even if abortion stays legal, we can decrease access. Access was always the issue. Roe versus Wade legalized abortion, but it did not guarantee access. It did not guarantee funding, as we know. And the anti-choice movement started with picketing and protests in front of clinics, screaming at the women coming in, the staff coming in, you know, murderer, butcher, baby killer, and that goes on to this day. And several doctors have also been killed. Killing in the name of life. This is a very twisted and sick ideology to prevent pregnant people from accessing the safe care that they deserve. And they have, um, created a situation where in some states, there's only one, maybe two clinics. And because it's difficult and dangerous for the doctors of those communities to provide abortions, doctors fly in from other states and stay for a few days to provide the care. So traveling abortion providers has also been going on for many, many years. And that's all related to the good states, bad states, and the harassment and the death threats and the bombings and all other kinds of ways to try to close the clinics down. Yeah. And uh, according to a former, I think it was a Seattle Times article, as I understand, there were over 70,000 abortions that took place at Aradia from the beginning of Aradia Health Center, Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. I didn't get there until years later, but it started in uh, 1972. And not only uh, abortion services, but many women's health services were... Right were provided there. We started lesbian clinics. We started transgender clinics. We we really wanted to be there for everybody, especially we knew that many people in the LGBTQ plus community were treated initially 
very poorly by the more um, mainstream medical community. And we were trying to provide a safe space for, for all. It's very, very, um, it's, it's so critical to remember those who may, I mean, things have changed, of course, but for those times, for people who feel excluded from society to have places to go where they feel respected and heard and welcomed, whatever their needs are. Yeah. Wow. And, and then uh, you're providing this care under threat. We became um, experts in security systems and all kinds of trainings. Uh, what if there's a threat on the phone? Um, how to look for a bomb that may be on the outside perimeter. Uh, we, we received a lot of support from a national group of providers called the National Abortion Federation. And uh, to some degree, we worked with security professionals to help us learn to be more aware. If something looks weird, say something. Um, we learned how to open the mail carefully because death threats and bombs, letter bombs can come in very discreet packages. Um, so we, we uh, learned for a long time, I would bring in the mail I would lock my office, I would wear a mask, um, and I would open the mail carefully and hold the letter away from my face. <laughs> How much that would do, depending on what was in it, is perhaps questionable, but we, we tried to adapt to keeping not only the women and others coming through the door, for care, trying to keep them safe. We were trying to keep ourselves safe too. We were determined to keep our feisty feminist clinic open, but it wasn't simple. It wasn't easy. And um, we saw that all these rights are becoming privileges and the right-based values that drove a radio were, were quickly becoming so incredibly difficult to provide because the anti-choice movement was so determined to close clinics down and terrify doctors and other healthcare providers from giving the services. It, it, was, um, it was a difficult time. And yet, you know, clinics have remained open. Many small feminist clinics like Aradia Women's Health Center have closed and that was, um, that was due not, believe it or not, not necessarily due to the harassment that more and more low income women became. Most of the women we were serving, uh, close to 70%, and it simply became financially difficult and wasn't a financial business model. So we were so values driven and we were serving everybody regardless of their need to pay, but without huge subsidies, whether from private donors or government subsidies, it just becomes an incredible challenge that through the years simply became more and more difficult. But our legacy is that we, trained many doctors, nurses, and counselors to provide quality care, and they're out there 
in the community and around the country and around the world providing very, very values-based healthcare and seeing abortion as a normal aspect of health, of healthcare and abortion as essential healthcare. Do you feel that that's because of insurance? A lot of it is insurance, yeah. Even when insurance pays, it pays very, very poorly. And of course, everything, everything, not just medical care, has gone up in society. But if insurance reimbursements don't stay with inflation, um, it's impossible to keep this, these uh, very personal-driven clinics, you know, with very personal care. It's, it's, it's clo- not impossible, but it's extraordinarily difficult to keep these smaller clinics open that have more intimate care. That was Marcy Bloom, former director of the now-closed Aradia Women's Health Center in Seattle. Aradia was a women's health clinic and was one of the city's earliest clinics to offer abortions. Aradia first opened in 1972, a year before Roe v. Wade, and closed in 2007. For more KBCS stories and to support our work with a donation, you can visit kbcs.fm.